It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi villains and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. It's Neil and Paddy back again. It's, you know, I'm loving the fact that all these games are coming up thick and fast at the moment. And to be honest with you, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do when we have a full week in between games uh, to, to rest and to recover. Not just us to rest and recover, but the players can rest and recover. Dean Smith can get a full proper tactical analysis of the upcoming team uh, that he has to play. Uh, but until then, we do have two more games in this short space and period of, of intense action. And we are here to talk to you about the West Ham game that is uh, that is up next and it's happening tomorrow on, on Wednesday night. And Paddy, how are you doing? Are you uh, are you looking forward to this game tomorrow? I suppose that's a real silly question. I don't even know why I asked it because it's kind of a rhetorical one. But uh, <laughs> West Ham, I suppose, are we are, are we envisaging any kind of uh, surprises? Or are we thinking uh, thinking anything of this game in particular um, that's coming up on Wednesday? Not necessarily. I think you know they're 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 on a go- they're on a roll apart from apart from losing at the weekend. They had five wins before that, so it's it's going to be no pushover. It'll be uh it'll be a tough game for us, as we found out the last time we played them. Um, albeit we were very unlucky with that late uh, Ollie Watkins incident, which was ruled out for offside when he was being wrestled into an offside position. But it's uh yeah, it'll be tough. Um, you know, I know we're at home, but as Dean Smith said in his press conference today, home and away means nothing these days because. It just is what it is, and there's no fans and no nothing. So the only the only plus point is you don't have to travel for a home game. Yeah, and I think that that's. I still think it does have a bearing because 
and it's worth talking about because we've heard or, or there hasn't been a whole point made out of it but you do hear people mention that you know people have to get changed in a port cabin in in the parking lot of uh, of, uh, of of the stadium because they don't use the home and away dressing rooms anymore due to COVID. And, you know, home comforts. There's a reason they're called home comforts and they're very much so our home comforts, I think, in the Premier League this year in the in, in so much as that, you know, you get, the, you get to have the same environs, you know, you don't have the travel on the same day. I know when we played Burnley, we travelled on the same day and um, at the time, and it, it, it's only it's only registering with me now, but at the time, I remember somebody made a comment on one of the posts and said that they were very nervous about traveling that distance on the game day and what kind of an impact or effect it might have. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that, that, that it was the sole reason that Aston Villa came out in the second half and were basically spluttering black smoke, but... You know, all these little things add up, you know, traveling on the same day. Are you talking about the game against Southampton? No, the game against Burnley. Burnley, yeah. It's Burnley, yeah. Yeah. It's not a huge difference. It's it's probably the same distance as it is to Southampton, which is surprisingly enough. But I guess if the logistics don't add up and they can't get a hotel that can take them overnight, what can you do? I'm I'm almost certain that they, they, they went to Southampton the night before because... If I remember rightly, I saw stuff on social media whereby there was a couple of the coaches. Uh, there was a photo of them walking down the street from behind, from behind uh, that morning that they were going for a morning stroll. So, um, yeah, adds further fuel to the to my thought process and my fire that maybe the traveling on the day was a was something that they had identified for the Burnley game, and, and maybe this, you know, making the the were. <laughs> You know, we're probably kind of sugarcoating the, the the home and away fixtures because there's no fans there, but there's a lot more kind of intrinsic and extrinsic factors that will come into it just by virtue of disrupting a normal game day, maybe. I don't know. Could be. It's no. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of close boy games that they will be traveling to, you know, on the morning of a game. Um I'm a little bit skeptical about the getting changed in the port of cabin in the car park, whether that's actually what's happening. The bottom line is these guys are in the dressing room with each other week in, week out. Going in for a shower in Torfmore is not going to make a huge difference as long as there's nobody else in there, only them, which I would envisage that's what's happening. They might be coming out of a different tunnel in Goodison Park, but they're probably walking down the concourse and into the dressing room. That's just me being skeptical. I think I think it would be absolute madness um, to come back from somewhere like Torfmore without having a shower or washing yourself properly, you know, to, to add to the woes of COVID and everything else, you, you, you're getting yourself a bit chesty or, you know, you're too wet or whatever. It just doesn't sound right. But look, we'll never know. The most important thing is that we're able to watch football and I think it's given us a fine release from uh, all the madness that we're putting up with at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I suppose... We ourselves in West Ham are the two surprise packages of this year's Premier League. Both teams obviously inextricably linked due to the fact that we had to go to West Ham and get a result on the last day of the season last season. They had been safe a game previous, uh, maybe two games previous, but definitely they had just scraped by. Both teams looked at one stage like we were running out of steam and couldn't um, surmount the the chasm between them and and Watford and Bournemouth uh, above them, 
Uh, but both teams did, and we both we both struggled our way out of that out of, out of that relegation zone. Fast forward six months or less, West Ham are fifth in the table on a super run of form, taking some scalps along the way, and Aston Villa are ninth in the table, albeit with 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 some games in hand. Uh, we are uh, ninth in the table, and everybody is talking about West Ham and Aston Villa, and it's a fantastic place to be. Not only is it, and I know I mentioned this, I'd say it was before that last game last season. Not only is it the battle of the short stealers, um, because, uh, and I do think somebody pulled me up in this, but I'm going to say it anyway, but I think we gave a set of jerseys to West Ham before. And uh, <laughs> it might be urban, urban legend or it might be urban myth, should I say, but uh, it's my story and I'm sticking to it until I can see inextricable proof afterwards. Um, but... West Ham United's claret and blue uh, is owed to, to to Aston Villa, and um, you know I hope to God we go out at the weekend and and we show them who is boss when it comes to claret and blue wearing strips uh, in in the Premier League. I'm but, just uh, West Ham and Burnley out of the way because I'm sick of wearing that bloody white strip. We don't seem to do too well in it. No. <laughs> so um, I hope the rest of our games we can play black. Yeah, the black strip is actually is actually very lucky. But uh, myself and Dan Bardell spoke about the last time that uh, I was on the Villa View about about it. It was uh, wasn't it Leicester, Arsenal, and and the the game just gone at Southampton. So there seems to be a bit of a lucky streak in it, especially when we're playing away from home. And, and hey, look, I'm not one to give out about shirts, but it's a nicer shirt than the white shirt anyway. You know, I it's a nicer so. one. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk a small bit about about West Ham. Um, much maligned David Moyes. I think his his uh, career did hit a speed bump for five or so years. Um, obviously being quote unquote, and I can do this now because this may be on on YouTube if I can figure the whole thing out. The chosen one by um by David Moyes, uh, or David Moyes was chosen one by Sir Alex Ferguson. I think it weighed heavy on him. I don't think the United fans gave him the time that the, the time that they they should have the expectation of a massive job like that did weigh heavy on him and followed him to Sociedad, inevitably then followed him to um, to Sunderland as well. And, uh, you know, now he's found his place back again at West Ham, which he did have a, a, a brief period at before. And look, he this is, a, this is a David Moyes team. This is a David Moyes team that we know from the times of, uh, of when he was over Everton and, and maybe Preston before. They play that same... Uh, high pressing, attacking, effervescent uh, game that's predicated really on strength, more so, mostly strength in midfield, and then having your couple of Leon Osmonds or or Tim Cahills or uh, you know those flair players or those jinky jinky players going on there, and the likes of maybe Ben Rama, Fornals has been really good this year, and uh, Jared Bone just has an engine on him. He just runs forever and ever and ever and ever. So it's very much a setup of a. A David Moyes team. Where do you see Paddy are going to be the the I suppose the danger points um heading into this game on Wednesday? Um well there's a couple. Um you know the defending from corners I think is a big thing. Um Dawson's well able to not home a couple of goals. I think he scored five or something this season. Mm. Um nine so- to one to score on Wednesday. Pardon? He's nine to one to score a goal, score at any time on Wednesday. It's one that stood out for me when I looked at the odds today. Yeah, uh, uh, Sue Check as well. You know, mm-hmm. big guy. Great Damien uh, Declan Rice is a big guy. Um, so I worry about the set piece. I'm sure 
they're working on it and then they know what they're up against. Um, with regards to the, the front line, the likes of Fernals, um, Mikel Antonio is just a little rocket, albeit I watched him the weekend against Liverpool and he, he looked like a guy who was either short of confidence or short of fitness, but he just didn't seem to get into it like he normally does. Um, you know, we got Ben Rama there, well known to a couple of our players who would have played with him and, and of course Dean Smith and Richard O'Kelly so um, he came on against us the last day and the only thing he did in the, in the 45 minutes he was on was set up the winning goal but that's all he, that's all he needed to do you know um, you know they've been on that, that five game winning run before losing to Liverpool and you know they're going to set up differently a little bit more negative against the side like that but um, I would imagine this is going to be end to end tit for tat Kind of, the, we're set up quite similar. Um, we attack the same, we press the same. You know, e- e- it's all pointing to be either a tactical masterclass by both managers and a nil-all draw, or end to end and a good few goals. And, uh, and I'm leaning towards the latter. I think there will be goals. Um, I think there'll be goals at both ends, and uh, I think we're in for a really good game. Yeah, I, I'm going to stay away from goals of both ends or anything like that. Because, yeah, because if if, the, if anything taught me, we got it wrong in, in the Burnley game. And I was going to throw the statistic and say that Villa have kept a clean sheet in their last three home matches in the Premier League. Um, but you just know I don't want to I don't want to make a big deal out of that because you just know it's not going to happen if I, if I do after after that Burnley game. Um, uh, the The... Just like ourselves, West Ham didn't make wholesale changes, didn't make wholesale additions during the, the January transfer window. Um, they brought in just one player and Jesse Lingard. Now, me personally, I think Jesse Lingard is a good player. I think he has his limitations. I think on his day, he can be really, really good. I think he needed to get away from Manchester United. Um, but I'm not quite sure what he brings to this West Ham team. I'm not quite sure where we see him fit in here if David Moyes brings him in from the start against against Aston Villa or not. What, what's your views on Lingard, I suppose, specifically, bearing in mind that, you know, he has a, a kind of a chance to, 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 I suppose, use it or lose it in the Premier League now because, um, you know, chances were few and far between for him off the bench for United this season. Yeah. Um. Look, he, he, he started all guns blazing. He looked like he was going to be a great player and he just kind of faded away. Um, I'm not by any means a fan of how well he does. I, did, I didn't I didn't consider him a main threat. Um, you don't know what David Moyes is going to get out of a player, so that, that remains to be seen. Do I think he'll start tomorrow night? No. I think I don't I don't see a change like that from what from what they've done. Um he will get an opportunity at some stage from the bench, but to, to be thrown in that quick is probably unlikely but you, you just never know yeah he's as i say he's a kind of a strange one for me um not, not an area of glaring weakness for him considering he's coming into a position where they've got players that would be on the bench like very good players like yarmolenko um you know as i said they've got fernandes benrama jared bowen there's someone else that's escaping my mind as well that plays uh that plays uh, for a small bit further forward for West Ham, but um, they've no. they've 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 strengthened in a position whereby they had options already. Really, mm. um, now look, he's played. You know, when when an opportunity would for somebody to come in that has like 20, over twenty caps for England, and you know, it do, does come up. 
I suppose maybe David Moyes maybe does still know him from his time at Manchester United. You know, he probably he he was out on loan for quite a lot of that period of time, but um he should know a small bit about him from from his time in Manchester United. Um, as I say, he is a polarizing player amongst a lot of uh, a lot of fan bases, a lot of opposing fan bases, um, but definitely somebody I think Aston Villa should be wary of coming off the bench, um, because he does. You know, as I say, he is playing for his Premier League future, I think, realistically, with regards to this. Uh, now, somebody will take a chance on somebody like Jesse Lingard. You know, teams coming up, uh, mid-table teams. Uh, West Ham's actually, if I was asked to name a team that would be in for him, I would have said someone like Newcastle or West Ham, maybe. Uh, I just, that would have came straight out, straight off the top of my head. But um, I wouldn't have been able to explain where he fits into either of those two teams, uh, Jesse Lingard, because... Uh, uh, on his day, he can be fantastic, but uh, on on other days, you know, didn't he have the ignominy of of having no shot on target up until the last game of last season? I think it was Jesse Lingard. He had he had there was some some crazy statistics. Yeah. yeah, some crazy statistics. And some fella had 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 like five hundred quid on him not to have a, sh- a shot on target in the whole year and to win like half a million or something. I remember there was some ridiculous bet, and he had a shot on target in like the ninety third minute of the last game of the season. You couldn't write it. You couldn't write it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely somebody that I am going to that I'm going to keep an eye on, especially for when he comes on. Because as I say, um, he's a kind kind of like a guy that uh, that when he's scorned, he can go out and he can do his best work. So so uh, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't under I'd underestimate him at, at, at our per- peril. I think if he were to be sprung off the bench. Um, speaking of the bench. Aston Villa bench we're going to speak about now. Uh, but before we do, I suppose, really, we'll, we'll preface it by, do we think there are going to be any changes on this team come come Wednesday night for Aston Villa? Well, all, all the signs are is, is that there won't. Um, I, I think he's, you know, he's decided this is his best team at the moment. And, and unless somebody either makes a mistake or does something extraordinary to push themselves into it, I can't see it happening. Um, would I like to see it happening? I would. I'd like to see a little bit of pressure put on uh, Bertrand Traore. I wouldn't mind seeing him sitting one out whenever that is. Um, I think I think it'll keep him on his toes. But he, he looked a bit flat um, mm-hmm. at the weekend, so uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him changed up for Trezeguet just to offer something different. Um, but look, we'll see. I think that's quite plausible. I actually, I actually think that that's, you know, that's probably that's more probable than it's not. I think for this game, um, I do think we will see a change. I do think we will see uh, maybe one or one change. I'm not gonna like. I'm not gonna rewrite Dean Smith's philosophy and say he's gonna make three changes because he's gonna turn into uh, Claudio Ranieri and start tinkering with the team all of a sudden. He's not. Yeah. And that's fine. That's okay. As I say, he's the manager. He'll live and die by his by by his decisions. And I'm sure he's taking into account all the statistical information, all the sports science information, as we've spoken about before, all the the GPS information that they get to, which is really relevant information. Um, and I'm actually working on trying to get somebody into the, onto the podcast during the next international break to speak to us about all that stuff and to speak to us about then somebody else as well to speak to us about rehabilitation of injuries. But it's proving difficult. So if anybody, I'll say it again, if anybody out there knows of a half decent physio that wants to come on and talk about Aston Villa, preferably an Aston Villa fan would be fantastic. Just give him my name and tell him to give drop me a DM because uh, or her to drop me a DM because I'd love to talk. I've got a couple of questions on injuries. 
um, and, and, and so on. But I think maybe we do see Trezeguet come in for Burton Troy. I don't think we see Morgan Sanson start this game. Um, and it's actually quite interesting. I'm going to take a complete another magical tangent here from that, but isn't it mad what the leaving of Marseille has done to the actual club itself? Of, of the leaving of Morgan Sanson has done to the club in Marseille. It's boreless. The, it's gone to pot. Like, what's happening? But apparently they were reaching out to Maurizio Sarri behind uh, uh, Villas Boas back. Villas Boas sends in his resignation. They don't accept it initially. I don't know. I don't even know what's happening now. I think then they went and they sacked him afterwards uh, instead of ha- instead of taking on board his resignation madness absolutely madness. insanity and and they nearly had the training ground burnt down by by mad fans <laughs> what is like that if there, if there ever was if any of you guys watch espn 30 for 30s there's a definite 30 for 30 to be done on that that's an fascinatingly enthralling last 72 to to 96 hours that has gone on in that club since morgan sanson has uh, has left Bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Um, thankfully, it's uh, nothing got to do with us. <laughs> we we no. have it here. He signed on a permanent, so they're not getting him back, regardless of who's in charge. Um, Celtic, on the other hand, will, ha- will have to probably take back <laughs> Olivia and Cham at the end of the season. Yeah. But anyway, who knows? Um, yeah, going, going back to what you said about the, the changes, you know, we'll go back to the Martin O'Neill times when. His philosophy was to to not change anything, and especially when the when the team is performing, or at least getting results. So for that reason, I, I would imagine the changes are going to be minimal, and that seems to be Dean Smith's way. So from my point of view, I would like to see that change on the right side of of the attack, um, but probably won't see it. That's. <laughs> you know, it, it, it it's actually beginning to get a bit monotonous with what we talk about the changes because they don't seem to happen. Um, but you know, you don't change a winning team. That's always the philosophy yeah. of club managers. Uh, we won the game at the weekend, albeit we weren't firing on all cylinders. Um, but we got three points, so we'll see. He like he has, you know, he has changed it up in the past with El Ghazi coming in and he took his chance and scored five goals. So. Why not do it again just to keep the others on their toes? That's just that's just my thinking on it. Yeah. As I say, I don't think anybody would be disappointed if he didn't make the change. I don't think anybody would be disappointed if he did make that change. I think realistically, there's only probably about two to three players that we would be disappointed in if they were changed uh, from the team. Well, probably maybe about four, I suppose. If for some strange reason and inexplicably he decided to arrest Matty Target, I think Twitter would explode, which is massive considering that this time last year it would have been there would have been uh, no general consensus, and that's down to Matty Target just being an absolute phenomenon this year, which is great to see. Um, I think obviously if Jack Grealish was rested for some for for an inexplicable reason, whereby he I, I think if he's ever going to arrest Jack Grealish for a game, he needs to get out in front of it with his press conference about four or five days beforehand to let people. <laughs> You know, assimilate it and yeah, get let, let people down gently. Yeah. Um, I think certainly, certainly Jack Grealish and, and, and Ali Watkins. I think if uh, if you were to out and over arrest Ali Watkins and bring in Keenan Davis, um, I think the, the knives would be out pretty quickly on, on, on Twitter as well. But um, look, there's a lot to be said for having a settled team. Um, provided that you aren't running players into the ground, uh, like, uh, and and I can't say this enough, and I can't stress it enough. There's the days of just playing players 
you know, of, of clubs not having a clue where physiologically their players are from a sports science point of view is just gone. It's not there anymore. So, you know, I would really, 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 I can't stress it enough how much that the data from the physiological side of things and the fatigue side of things and the muscle stress side of things and all this information put together is every bit as important as looking at statistical trends from a point of view of what a team does in a corner in a corner from this point of view what a team does from free kicks from this distance out all that kind of statistical analysis that you do in the, on, the, on the opposing team that you're playing knowing the physiological data and the gps data from your own team is every bit as important and i'm sure there's a daily um daily reports coming after trainings before trainings and so on for each player especially in the covid times well i'd say the, those reports are even coming during training yeah. sessions during matches mm. and you know i'm probably being a bit harsh saying that Traore was was a bit par player at the weekend you know we pointed out or you pointed out i should say on our uh, review of the game everything went down the left hand side so um he's going to be a bit par player of everything he's going that side you know mm. and he, he even popped up a couple of times out in that left wing <laughs> for some apparent reason but look you know the, the the whole sports science and the statistics and everything goes with it. Um, I, I've seen not necessarily Villa games, but I've seen pieces of paper being handed to managers, which are undoubtedly looking at somebody's heart rate or work rate, or or you know they they look at things like um, the amount of meters covered up to sixty minutes, and they can tell who's struggling or who who's you know really suffering with whatever is going on at that time. In our case, the recovery from the, the layoff and, and not training together and not playing ball and the COVID thing. So all of those things are looked at. It's it's actually, you know, you talk about someone coming, I'd love to hear what someone has to say about what, what happens, you know, in in, in those companies and the, the the information that's relayed throughout the game is, is phenomenal. Um, I, I had a brief introduction to it when when doing my coaching badges and it, it absolutely blew me away because you, you've so much to think about on a match day to, to be handed that kind of information must absolutely blow your mind mm-hmm. to be sitting there thinking, oh yeah, Jack Grealish is flying today, you know, he's seen a lot of the ball and, and next thing you're handed a piece of paper going, Jack normally has 7,000 or uh, seven kilometres done at this stage and he's only done five and a half. You know, and that that just changes everything. You're worried then is he is he is there something wrong or what what's happening? Or then you're looking at the other stats of where he's picking up the ball. Is he picking it up further on than he normally does? That he's not running with it and not getting extra meters under the belt. You know, there's there's so much to consider. Um, the, the modern game is just a minefield of different stuff. Um, it, it goes to show with the the amount of staff that's there for training for match day. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. The two hundred people that you're allowed into a match, it's it's nearly a hundred people per squad, between kit man, physio, all sorts. So, it's a it's a whole new game now than than when I used to play it or be involved in it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's a, but it's more fascinating, and I think that there are the margins that, you know, if teams. We talk an awful lot about money and we talk a lot about the, the, the impact that rich benefactors and owners and stuff like that like that have in the game. Um, and I think the biggest impact that Suarez and Wes Edens have had on, on, on our particular club is, is the structure. 
the and I know I don't mean just this I mean a coherency from top to bottom. I mean a um a kind of they're they're running it like a business. They're running it like and it is run a small bit like a, a, like an American franchise, as in a, a basketball franchise or an NFL franchise. And, and I don't mind that in a derogatory way because there's lots of good things you can take out of it. Like having having the initial kind of sp- supposed general manager in in the Johan Lang, which is um, director of football. Also having the figurehead Perslow. Like if there's anything to be communicated, it goes through Christian Perslow. And that itself is quite good. Takes kind of the, it takes that pressure off Dean Smith, allows Dean Smith just to talk about, about the squad itself. Um, you know, that they, they, they roll out Johan Lang whenever there's a signing made because a lot of it has to go through him. He's the negotiator. He's the director of football. And I, I, I like this. I like this, this kind of grown up attitude that the club has, but Getting back to what I was saying there about money, yes, money buys you buys you players, but also what money does is it allows you to set up these in these departments within your football club and set up these like the scouting department is one thing, but like the days of having the old the, the old 60, 70 year old guy in the flat cap looking at parks in and around Birmingham, there might be some aspect of that. But uh, a lot of the scouting would be done online. It would be done via via um video scouting, but also it would be done via um you know, setting up things like like sports science departments, um, and, and so on, and getting physiological reports on players and more more kind of data on, uh, from that side of things to decide whether mm. somebody is 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 a good enough signing or not. Um, and then the medicals then are are, are really just taking checking bone densities and things like that, and making sure that that uh, old injuries and dental records. Like I'll never forget when Ali Sissoko went to sign for, um, he was supposed to sign for Valencia, I think it was initially. Um, from Porto or, or vice versa, it was something like that. And the whole thing was off. The whole thing was cancelled because he had had a root canal that wasn't done correctly. Um, or something along those lines to do with the dental records. Yeah, and he'd go and get that sorted first because they felt that it could affect him with migraines into the future. And it, ca- it cancelled the whole deal. Yeah. No, I'm paraphrasing an awful lot with my factual information on that. I don't have it with me. All I know is Ali Sissoko was moving from one team to another. There was something wrong with his teeth and they cancelled the deal at the last minute and he, because he had to go in and get it fixed. So they didn't want to make the investment. It was, a, I think it was a, tra- a deadline day transfer. They didn't want to make the, the investment on him because of dental records. And that's what smart teams do. Why go away and spend 15, 16 million on a player that might have a bit of an issue for six or seven months that you can't get sorted? If he, if like protect your investment, I suppose, really, and be smart about stuff like that. Yeah. Um, to answer your question about the the guys uh, in the park watching guys playing football, it's a lot more complicated these days. Um, I know for have, having done it, not not even recently, in, in a few years ago, having having done a bit of scouting for somebody, you, you need to inform the league, you need to inform the teams, you need to inform the uh, parents of the players yeah. there's so much red tape involved now it's not a question of just spotting someone in the park and, and, and forward them on well that's the way it is in Ireland and sure it's the same yeah. in the UK I, I'll tell you a hilarious story actually and this is very, this is amazingly tangential we're going completely off our, our, our match report um, when, when I was playing underage football we were playing uh, it was under 18s football so it was youth football here in Ireland considered youth football but we had a really really good team and we were playing a game. It was actually a semi-final. It was a semi-final of our of, of our uh, of our league, Desmond League in Limerick, and and uh, it was a semi-final of the cup. And we were told beforehand that there was going to be a guy there, and to take no notice of him. Uh, and they said, "Look, there's just going to be a guy there. Take no notice of him. Don't don't worry about it at all." 
So remember, we went out in the field. It was the worst thing you could have told us. And we went, we did go on to win the game, but it was the worst thing you could have told us because we were scrutinizing everybody. But then we looked down in the bottom corner and there was a guy in head to toe in Southampton gear. I mean, literally head to toe in Southampton gear. We were convinced he was a scout, convinced. And we all went out, I think, I can't remember what, what we won the game by, but we won it and we won it, you know, the canter. We won it playing really, really well. And uh, we were all inside the dressing room afterwards and we were talking about it and talking amongst ourselves like, oh, this is a scout, this is Southampton scout. It just turned out it was a guy who was looking to take over our team the year afterwards and he wanted to have a look at us play, but he just happened to be a massive scout, Southampton fan. So for about six weeks after, after that game, we went on, to, we went on to, the, to the final of the cup and we won the cup as well. But for about six weeks after we won the cup and everything, we were convinced we were all going to get letters from Southampton for trials and the, the club were being coy about it. And then we went back to training and this bloke arrives on and now he's Southampton gear and he goes, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm here to take over. I'm ta- here to take over the team I was asked by the club um, to come in and take you over next year because nearly all our team were, were underage again and uh, and he said yeah I'm just a huge Southampton fan <laughs> so we were convinced because he was out in his own down near the corner flag being very non-conspicuous he stood out like a sore thumb but uh, yeah you would stand out being a Southampton fan yeah. in Huge, yeah, yeah. Southampton gear from top to bottom. One of the big, um, like back in the day before you, you'd even see too many of those uh, sleeping bag jackets and everything. He'd, I never forget it. He had one of those on. He had a Southampton peak that just stood out like a sore thumb. But uh, yeah, alas, never got any letter from Southampton, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's my only story about scouting um, or, or potentially being scouted. Uh, in in the Desmond League in Limerick, um, but yeah, I suppose going back to the game because that's what we're here to talk about. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going to make a a bold prediction about this game. I think this is going to be a banger. I think this is going to be a really good game. I yeah, think I there think may so. be some controversy in this game. I think it's nearly easier to say that there will than there won't in most games in this in this day and age. But I just have the funny feeling that we've got two teams coming up against each other to play different styles. Villa are a lot more finesse-based at the moment. Yes, there was a great article from Ashley Priest out during, out during the week, which was brilliant. Uh, no, sorry, not Ashley Priest. It was uh, Matt Maher, Matt Maher from the Star. It was a great article about how we, how you may not realise it, but Villa are winning ugly and they're winning, they're winning doggedly more and more uh, this year, which is the big difference from last year. And he rattled off a couple of games and statistics from them that you might forget about. Mm. And, I, and I think that the, the, the styles are going to make this fight because we're going to see an awful lot of crosses into that back post area from a David Moyes team where Suchek is going to want to peel off and get out there. Agbana is going to want to peel off and get out there. We're going to see, we're going to need to be very careful of giving away free kicks in an area where Garen Cresswell can whip one in, where, um, you, you know, where, where anybody can, can, can you know, get a, get, a, get a nice ball into that kind of corridor of uncertainty or even into that back post because Thomas Suchek just pops up there at will. He is, he is David Moyes new Marouane Fellaini um, and he's his new Tim Cahill you know that's that's just what he is and, and he's doing a bloody good job of it as well so we're really going to have to have to be wide of him and, and make sure that we get to the second balls as well because Antonio is a block of a man like if we think that Mikel Antonio isn't going to stand on Emmy Martinez for every corner and make a bloody nuisance of himself and if we're going to play that same tactic with the zonal, zonal marking whereby we allow the back post to be free so Emmy Martinez can collect the ball at the back post and then we break like mad for a counter attack because that's, that's, that's a tactic that we have had that, um, that Burnley cut us out on. If we think we're going to be allowed to do that, Mikel Antonio is going to make a nuisance of himself at corners. 
So I'd come up with something different if if, if I was uh, if I was Jan Terry, Dean Smith, and Richard O'Kelly for, for for corners, then then to have that as a tactic. Yeah, but look, we, we've spoken about it many times. The the the, uh, the zonal marking, the dreaded zonal marking. Um, there's only a certain amount of times you can get cut out before you start learning from it. So I hope that's not going to be the case tomorrow because there's there's, there's many guys there that can come and punish us, mm-hmm. um, and they will. There's no doubt about it that they will. Um, they they have enough in their locker there to you know, you you talk about winning ugly. They've been winning ugly all along. Um, the difference between them and us is we've got the games in hand. We have enough games in hand to catch up on them. And you know what? I'm quite happy that those games are in hand and we are where we are because there's very little pressure on our team. People are enjoying watching us, but yet we're still sitting just below the pressure point of being on the on the coast for Europe. That doesn't mean we're out of it. It means it means that we're just flying below the radar and I'm more than happy to fly below the radar until we've got to play those games in hand because, uh, you know, once it comes down to sink or swim and qualify for Europe, which hopefully we'll be in that fight because it's a much better fight than the fight we had last season. As much as it was enjoyable and a relief to stay up, I think it would be a much more euphoric relief to, to qualify for Europe. But I won't be too disappointed either if we if we aren't. But look, we're in a much better place. We're, we're, we're as you say, we're winning ugly. We're winning games, albeit we've lost games that we should have won. Um, we've won over half our games. We've had uh, clean sheets in over half our games. There's so much halfway through the season that we have going for us that you know it's it's a joy to be a Villa fan at the moment, and it, it, we look forward to every game. Where in the past, oh, you worry about playing Arsenal, you worry about playing... Oh, we don't worry about playing anybody now. Mm-hmm. Certainly won't worry about playing Arsenal next weekend with David Luiz and Bernd Leno now sent off for the straight red. So there's a couple more. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll talk about that in, a, in an Arsenal preview. Mm. But, um, you know, all the signs are good. I'd really like us to go and win this tomorrow and then have a pop-off Arsenal. I think it'll put us in a really good place if we got six points out of these two games. Probably realistically be happy before, but I'd like to go and win this game tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah, we win this game tomorrow. We go ahead of West Ham on, on goal difference and we are in that, potentially in that coveted uh, fifth space Europa League uh, It depends spot. who wins around us as well. But Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It depends on who, who wins around us. But uh, look, I'd prefer to be above West Ham after beating them than to be six points below them after losing to them. So uh, so that's definitely where I'm coming from. And there's a couple of statistics on the game. Um, Villa have, uh, there has been under two and a half goals um, in eight of their last 10 games against West Ham in all competitions. Uh, so there's been under two and a half goals. Uh, we've kept a clean sheet in our last three home games as I mentioned beforehand. Um, West Ham, there are, sorry, there has been over two and a half goals scored in West Ham's last three games. So West Ham are leaking goals and scoring goals themselves. We're, we're a small bit more, um, well, predominantly a small bit more kind of stingy at the back, it seems. And we're undefeated in nine of our last 10 home matches against West Ham in all competitions. And West Ham are undefeated in their last six matches against Aston Villa in all competitions. Seems to be like nobody loses these games. <laughs> and you know that they're low scoring games. Hmm. Um I think the carrot and the stick here is the fact that I think it will be drilled into these players that look, guys, treat the treat the games that you have in hand as a blessing. We had games in hand last year, and they turned out to be a blessing for us in our fight for survival. 
we can use that same momentum, that same mindset, and that same kind of um, sports psychology, whatever was done in that aspect. Uh, the fact that this team always believed they could get out of the mire last year using the, the game in hand. Um, well, let's make us put ourselves in a very advantageous position here by winning this game and going out to win a game against Arsenal and then still having games in hand and the majority of people around us. I think that's going to be drilled into this team. I think this team wants to grab that kind of brass ring that's there and to pull themselves up into that the echelons of, of, of those positions there because I think this team believes in itself. I think this team is, is near more cockiness and I bloody love that. And, and I'd love to be proven right with that. Um, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go and I'm going to give a score prediction. I said I wouldn't. I'm going to go 2-1 Aston Villa. Um, and I'm going to think that Ali Watkins continues his his uh, his uh, his great performance as he gets a goal. And I think that uh, I'm going to go with it again. I think we're going to see a defensive goal from Aston Villa. It has to happen at some stage. I keep on predicting a defensive goal. It has to happen at some stage. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with the same scoreline. That's, that's what I had in my head. Um, I think they'll be reminded of what happened the last day we played these guys and yeah. they'll have a really good pop off them tomorrow and they'll be a little bit angry about it. And I wouldn't put it past Ollie Watkins scoring tomorrow for sure. Yeah. Um, Just want to touch on a, a little point that was made in the, the presser today by, uh, you know, Dean Smith was talking about, you know, the transfer window and whatever. And it's just something that stuck in my mind that he, he, wants to have a sustainable football club. And I just think the way we've gone about our business, just it, it's, it's been brilliant. As much as we want to win games and win trophies, we're, we're going about it the right way. And, you know, I really, I really love us to go about it the way we're doing it, then go and spend 80, 90, 100, 150 million on players that don't get on with each other. And we, we were a one hit wonder and we go missing again. So, I'm quite happy with the way it's going. He's building a legacy there. It's a, it is a sustainable club. There was no huge wages. There's no big, huge price tags. Like it, it amazes me. Manu are still talking about signing Jack Grealish, yet they signed two players that they're not even playing that would have bought Jack Grealish for them. It just makes me scratch my head and go, "You're deluded. There's something wrong with you." Mm-hmm. I don't think they actually know that Jack Grealish is on a huge contract with the club that he loves and the team is built around him, why would he want to go anywhere else? Uh, I, I, I think Man United, the club, know that, but I think that they've got such a segmented uh, fan base that, uh, be honest with you, uh, and look, I, I, I'm not going to offend the people who do know Man United inside out, but a lot of their fans don't. They're, like they're the epitome of, of bandwagon team, like your bandwagon followers, uh, whereby you've got people who go, oh, let's go and buy the best players. And then you have to remind some some fans that, as I say, that, that may not be as in tune as a lot of the fans. They do have a lot of passionate and in tune fans, and that's cool too. But there are some fans there that you have to remind that United haven't really been relevant since 2013. So, like, you know, they can't just go away and, and buy a Jack Grealish now. Uh, if they want to buy him, they're not going to get him for 80 million. People start saying, like, this arbitrary figure of 70, 80 million. Yeah, best of luck, treble it. You know, it's not a hope. If Jack Grealish moves within the Premier League, it is going to be for a Premier League transfer record. He is up there in the top five best players in the world at the moment. Um, statistically wise, output wise, what you what even just judging by your eyeballs, he's one of the best players in the world at the moment. 
if you're going to come, you better come with an up-to-date checkbook. You better come with a lot of stubs in it. And you better come with, you know, with, with a lot of negotiating power because you're not just going to pick him up like you would have in the past. No matter who you are, I'm not just saying about Aston Villa, you're not going to pick it up like, like who you are in the past. And I like what you said there about the sustainable model uh, with Dean Smith because God knows I'd sign everybody if I could. I'd like to have, I would sign everybody if I could. I would have a specific department, and I know the Villa have this, but I would have a specific department that would buy people to loan out and, and take chances on players like, like Chelsea did. Now, I know those rules have been tightened up and closed. That's, I love that about Chelsea. I gave out about it because I loved it so much. If they were like, that was a brilliant, if you could afford to lose the money on players and not, not need to see the, the, the fruits in them straight away, buy the player loan him out, but loan him strategically to a club that, that would um, which share your values. Big fan of that. Obviously, that doesn't lead to sustainable models in football, which well, I'm also a big fan of as well. But, uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, the it, season it's, after, we, we failed to beat uh, Fulham in the, the playoff final and we were on the brink of extinction. Yeah. I wouldn't like to win uh, whatever cup with, with, with paying over the odds for players just to win that cup and then be in trouble afterwards. So, you know, a sustainable model is, is fine with me and uh, I hope it works out for him. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, what am I talking about? It is working out for him, <laughs> quite obviously. <laughs> you know? we, were we not still the biggest spenders in the Premier League? On fourteen million, I think I, I think I read something there. Up until like up until about nine o'clock last night, we were still the biggest spending team in in January transfer window, signing one player for fourteen million. Um, now I'm completely open to correction on that, but I know I did hear somebody say it on Sky Sports last night. Yeah. Um, that that may have, that that would have been the case, but um, yeah, even at that, not huge money, and a player that will contribute for us, and a player that as we said seems to have sunk the battleship of uh, of Marseille. You know, when he left, it just seems to have gone to gone to madness altogether. But yeah. um, yeah. So this, uh, so I think what we're going to do, guys, is I think we're going to wrap it up there because we've rambled an awful lot. I've spoken about my uh, my phantom scouting uh, escapades uh, as a as a sixteen year old sixteen uh, year old footballer. Um, We've spoken about uh, transfer philosophies. We've spoken about uh, sports science philosophies. All these things we didn't have on our on our uh, our podcast sheet here for uh, for the rundown for our production of of the the podcast today. But it's been fun. We have gotten some feedback that the ten minute tirades were maybe a small bit too short. So uh, this one has gone a lot longer than ten minutes. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And, and I think sometimes I like getting caught. Well, not so. I don't think sometimes. I know I like getting caught in these conversations um, about this stuff. And sometimes the ten minute, uh, ten minute tirades, while great for us when we're trying to record so many in such a short space of time, um, it's not really what we're about. I think we like to talk a small bit more and get down the rabbit holes of stuff. So uh, we certainly have in this podcast, and it's been great to do it again. Um, so once again, thanks, William Paddy, for for popping on. Uh, you can follow Paddy on at Villa Paddy. You can follow myself on at Love McGrath Pod. Um, the keep an eye out. I'm hoping we're hoping to have some sort of a website up to make things, make it easier to find our podcasts and so on in the next uh, in the coming days. Maybe delayed slightly, um, just due to a, a, an issue of my own making. Um, but we're hoping to have it up, and we will advertise it out there with obviously with the new um with the new website uh we might be doing a small bit of a giveaway as well so keep an eye out for that uh the there is an ongoing giveaway at the moment if anybody listens to this uh, or has listened to the last podcast that we did the burnley or the southampton review podcast please like that like that uh that post 
please comment underneath it with a picture of you, uh, of your player, of you listening to the to the podcast. You still have time to win a hat or to be in a chance to win a hat. We will announce it on the review show for the West Ham game tomorrow night or Thursday morning, depending on the result and how pissed off we are or how happy we are. We, but it will be announced on the review show of West Ham. So if you're waiting for the results of this one, um, still is time for people to enter it. It will be on the review show of West Ham. And you have to put your screenshot in under the review show of Southampton. Okay, so comment under there just so I have it all in the same space so it's easier for me to pick a winner. It's me being drastically lazy on that one. Uh, but thanks, everybody, that have entered so far. I think there's like 25 or six entries already so far. Um, and we pick somebody at random and we will announce you on the West Ham review show um, coming up. Uh, so that's great. Um, thanks, as I say, to everybody for listening. You know, the numbers are just fantastic. It's it, it warms my heart to see the numbers of people listening week in, week out go up, considering the two of us just kind of natter on here and our semi-distinguishable accents. I know the Dublin accent is a lot more distinguishable than my hybrid bastardized accent between Limerick, Galway and Cork over here on the west side of Ireland. But thanks to everybody for listening in. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic game, I think, against West Ham tomorrow night. Hopefully we come out victorious and leapfrog them into the Europa League spots. But until then, everybody stay safe. And all that's left to say is up the villa. Up the villa. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.